Hi, welcome to Navigating the Spectrum with Michelle Portlock. I'm your host, Michelle Portlock, and I'm so happy to have you with me today. Today, I have Dr. Mark Avner, and not only is he our pediatrician and has been for 10 years, but he also is married to his wife, Melanie, and together they have two children. And he says he has a healthy addiction to playing his guitar, and he tries to do that as often as he can. And he was also born and raised in Colorado and really loves getting outside and hiking and just being in nature. So now that you know a little bit more about Dr. Mark, Dr. Mark, thank you for being here with me today. Michelle, thank you for having me. I'm so excited to be here. This is fantastic. Oh, I love it. I have been really looking forward to this. I scheduled this with Dr. Mark a couple of weeks back and I came up with a bunch of questions for him and I'm just anxious to learn from him. So having said that, I want to just jump right into our line of questions and talking points. So I will just ask you, how important are developmental milestones when when trying to determine if a child is autistic? Well, Developmental milestones are just such an important part of the care of of children and the evaluation of children. And we really start from almost day day one, from the moment that babies are born, just looking at how they are responding, interacting with the environment. We take a lot of students that train with us in the office, and I tell them that my exam really starts the moment I walk into the room. I'm looking at how the child, again, interacts with with parents or with siblings, even at the in the infancy stage. There's so much that you can see in terms of how they're growing at all levels of development, whether it's verbal or motor, fine motor, gross motor. You can really catch a lot just by observation. Mm-hmm. And in terms of autism specifically, I think you really start to pick things up sometimes within that first year of life in terms of how how they are engaged with their environment, engaged with the people who interact with them. So it's it's certainly important. Early on in, in the child's life, there's quite a few visits, particularly in that first uh, two years. And a big mm-hmm. part of that is for a developmental evaluation because the earlier that we can identify a specific diagnosis, the earlier we can get the supportive uh, intervention that that can really help the child grow and thrive. Mm -hmm. It's interesting. I didn't fully understand before I had children. And even when my oldest was young, I didn't fully understand the importance of developmental milestones. And I remember being pretty laid back about it. And when you'd get together with your young moms and you're at a park with your kids and you're watching someone else's kids climb up a ladder and yours, your child might just be like sitting in the bar, just kind of off by themselves. I never really understood that there might be a connection with that as, as a mom, I didn't really get that. So as I've learned more and experienced more, I understand the importance of those developmental milestones. And I appreciate you expanding on that. Yeah. And I'll, I'll tell you that I learned pretty early in my training that we have a lot of tools at our disposal. We have stethoscopes and otoscopes and lab draws and x-rays 
and mm-hmm. all sorts of items and things that we can use when evaluating caring for children. There is nothing more valuable than mom and dad's input. That is the best tool we have in the tool bag. And we can do all the development evaluation in the world. But the reality is it really is a snapshot in time when we mm-hmm. see these kids in the office. Mm-hmm. And it's so important just to engage parents and, and have them on board for every step of the way in the growth and development of their kids. Because parents, mom and dad, and and, and and caregivers are the experts in their in their children. And they're the ones who see and really understand what the day-to-day life is like. Mm-hmm. So I, I appreciate your comments about just as a parent getting to see some things that may not necessarily be identified at a visit or mm-hmm. behaviors that we may not necessarily uh, witness. Uh, but as a parent, you see that. And that's important to to really bring out. Mm -hmm. I actually really like that you mentioned that because one of the things I, and I'm not trying to butter you up or anything, but (laughs) one of the things I always- You can butter away. You can butter away. (laughs) But one of the things that I've always loved about you is you're right. It is a snapshot in time. And as a mom, there were so many times that I thought if they could just come to my house and observe what's happening, mm-hmm. they would mm-hmm. better understand what I'm talking about. But here's what I appreciate about you is when I would talk to you about that, you actually listened and you would take note. And and I would say, I remember specifically with multiple children of mine saying, I'd really like to do this type of testing. I really would like to make sure that we know what we're looking at and we know Mm -hmm. how we can best accommodate this child's needs Mm -hmm. and the support that you provided. I, I mean, when I came to you with my youngest, you put her on the testing list right away for me. And I really appreciated that because I know it doesn't always work like that for Mm -hmm. parents. And I think there are a lot of pediatricians that maybe don't see it in that snapshot and so kind of want to do the wait and see approach. Mm -hmm. And I appreciate that you take the parents input you really put meaning behind it and you really act on that. And that's something I've always, that's why I keep coming to you. I, I just um, keep coming back. <laughs> that's very, very kind of you. And and you have always been such a great advocate for your kids. And, and I, I really see what you've done for them, including a podcast such as this, which is so amazing. I was going to add that we have as part of our development and the well visits that we do so so commonly we have lots of screeners that are done mm-hmm. to try to gauge where a child is and mm-hmm. i heard a talk a few years back by a development expert who said that you can combine all the screeners in the world together and they may not capture that picture of exactly what you've been describing of really being so in tune with your kids and what you see on a day-to-day basis that more valuable than really running through all these screeners and we still do them because you can't pick up a lot of things that would otherwise be missed but Mm -hmm. it's just sitting down and saying what are your concerns do you have concerns about how they communicate with you or how they understand and receive language how they're moving uh grossly how their fine motor skills are Mm -hmm. those few questions 
can really add so much more insight than a very robust screener that sometimes is difficult for parents to to really know because the questions are trying to be to some extent a little cookie cutter to to fit um, a, a global population. But the reality is that every child is is different, even children who share the same diagnosis. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's so true. You know, it does make me think of one of my children that I brought to you. And I said, I think we might be looking at some ADHD, but I'm not certain. (laughs) So we started with the Vanderbilt test. And the reason why I chuckle is because Mm -hmm. after I filled out the questionnaire, my husband and, and his teachers, we came in to look over the evaluation with you. And this child of mine was doing literal donkey kicks off of a chair while we were <laughs> while we were in your office and i thought well here's the snapshot that i always right. wish was occurring right right and so and i know yeah. adhd it doesn't always present that way for right. each individual but it did yeah. for my for this right. particular child right. so yeah it's so yeah. funny there'll be times where i'll do an evaluation for attentiveness and impulsivity and and halfway through the evaluation parents and I will look over and the paper from the exam table has been torn into about a thousand pieces on the floor. <laughs> and and the child's been uh, using the table and his chairs as a jungle gym. And uh-huh. I'm thinking, well, uh, you know, there may not be a blood test for this, but um, <laughs> we might be on the right track here. Might be barking up the right tree. <laughs> and you know what? I think as parents, we actually appreciate that you can see what we see. Yes. So it kind of because the whole goal is to get the best resources we can for our children right. for our children. Right. Do parents need like a a pediatrician's referral to move forward with autism testing? I think it can be very helpful in most cases. And there's a number of reasons, not the least of, of which is that uh, the referral does help get coverage. Sometimes insurances companies will not cover Uh, supportive services unless there is a formal diagnosis. Mm -hmm. And that can be really helpful as well as just navigating the whole process. Um, There's certainly a much greater awareness today than five, 10 years, 15 years ago about autism and the resources and the support groups. And even just with social media, being able to find other families who have shared experiences to have such a wealth of information and knowledge mm-hmm. at the at the get-go. But with that being said, it can be very helpful to have that navigator, whether it's a pediatrician or perhaps someone who's trained at the office to help link the patients to the proper services. Mm-hmm. I think it's been pretty universally recognized that early intervention can make such a huge difference for kids. And mm-hmm. my feeling has always been whether there's a specific diagnosis or not, whatever we can do to provide that child with the services to help them thrive, to help them grow, to help them live their best life, I want to do that as early as we can. Mm-hmm. And, and that's where I think the pediatrician really can, and having a medical home can be most valuable. Mm -hmm. The thing that I appreciated about speaking with you first and then you giving the referral for my youngest was just that I felt like we were all on the same team. I felt Mm -hmm. very supported. And I think that's one of those benefits that sometimes is missed. And so when you have it, 
you feel, I felt more comfortable and confident in the direction we were going. So that's just from personal experience. But, you know, there's a question that I wanted to ask you that I kind of skipped over. What what traits or behaviors do you often see in young children prior to an autism diagnosis? What are you seeing that makes you say, you know what, there's something here and we might want to investigate a little further? It's a bit of a a tightrope at some, at some level, mm-hmm. um, there are families who come in and it is on their radar and they've had suspicions for however long. And mm-hmm. so they come in really looking for their, uh, a comprehensive evaluation. And then there are cases where a child may have some features and some and present in a way that does raise my suspicion, but I'm not sure whether the family has identified those. And as as I think people may know, that the spectrum is so broad right now that the range of presentation can be so varied. And there's certainly times where I may step into a room and in about 15 seconds, my antenna are going up that the, just the interaction with parents, the interaction with their siblings is not quite what I would anticipate for the developmental age that the child is. Mm-hmm. And it seems as though parents, other people may are to some extent, almost objects in the room, as opposed to the warm interactions that you might see with other with other mm-hmm. kids. And that might be more of the extreme type of example that I would see. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there's there's other kids who may struggle with transitions and have some of the other classic features that we associate with, with autism, where the routine is so important and parents just can't get on, can't manage the day because if there's any change to what was anticipated, the the anticipated course, it really derails the train quite a bit. As I get older, I hear about kids who might be really struggle socially with friendships and don't seem to have that interest in peers and often are more playing by themselves. Mm-hmm. So there's there's a lot of the the common features that people identify with autism that if if you're observant and sit back you can you can pick up and see at every level and at almost every age when the child comes in but certainly sometimes it's features are so subtle that mm-hmm. it, it it takes some real exploring and digging mm-hmm. to be able to to make the identification and the diagnosis. Yeah, I would agree with that. You're right. I mean, just this last year, they they changed the the autism, what would I call it? The ratio. It used to be one in 59, and now it's officially changed to one in 44, which mm-hmm. is a big jump. It's a pretty big jump. Right? It is a pretty big jump. And to me, that says a lot of things. But one of the things it says is also how broad this spectrum is and mm-hmm. what it actually encompasses. So I can see mm-hmm. how it could be tricky and maybe actually truly take time to observe and learn more about a child's behavior 
from their parents and learn more about their develop my, developmental milestones. And I think I think it can be more of a process for those kids that need less supports, but are still right. autistic and do need supports. Right. So I, I would imagine those would be, I don't know if I'm right or not, but I would imagine those would be the trickiest kids to diagnose. They really can be. And again, the features can be so subtle and they really, for the most part, thrive socially, academically, mm-hmm. but there's just some subtleties. And again, it just might be in perhaps reading the social cues of with an interaction with a friend or a teacher or a family mm-hmm. member that for the most part has not impacted their life very much, but still is enough that it's created some challenges mm-hmm. in terms of how they perform academically or how they engage with peers and classmates and, and potential friends. Mm-hmm. Such such good information. I am wondering, when you suspect a child may be autistic, what types of places do you refer parents to mm-hmm. in order to receive a, a diagnostic evaluation? So there's a lot of support and resources that are available, and including a developmental specialist in the evaluation and care and management, I think is very important. We we do begin the uh, evaluation in the office. They're actually some of my favorite evaluations to do. Mm. Um, and then when the diagnosis is made, there tends to be a lot of referrals to get the proper support, whether mm-hmm. it's speech therapy or occupational therapy. Some kids benefit from social skills group. There's parent-child interaction support groups. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there's some of the medical issues that come too with, with mm-hmm. the diagnosis, whether it's eating or um, bowel training, things like that, that can be uh, a challenge that we try to support in the office. But I know that I have a lot of great people in this community who are so knowledgeable and helpful in caring for these kiddos. Mm-hmm. That is true because you've sent me to some of them and I've really appreciated those referrals. And I appreciate that I, as a parent, am, am not expected to know all things and because it gets overwhelming for us as parents. And so I appreciate that I can go to other professionals who yes. can really step in and help right. me manage the care right. for my child and help them to become the mm-hmm. best version of themselves. Right. That's so true. And jumping back to a topic that we touched upon earlier is just the role and and the value of a medical home and having a primary caregiver is just to coordinate the care from all these potential specialists because you can have a lot of cooks in the kitchen who are Mm -hmm. excellent chefs and make wonderful dishes, but sometimes uh, they may make the same dish or they're not necessarily coordinating what they're making together. And to have so many potential providers that are helping to manage these, these kids and helping them to just thrive and, and do their best to have kind of that central point person to really mm-hmm. make sure that everybody's communicating, everybody's talking. This is what I do, and this is what 
this is what we're working on and this is helpful and this is these are the challenges that we have oh i can take that piece because that's my area of expertise and this person can work on that because that's their area of expertise and that coordinated care i think really produces the best results i like that you call it coordinated care i always call it um, my team my team yeah, it is for sure a team <laughs> and everyone's that. a team player that. but i like coordinated care I, i've never mm-hmm. heard it called that i really like that term yeah. so one thing i want to ask you is as a pediatrician when you discover that a child has been diagnosed as autistic do you make any adjustments within your own practice for for these specific children Well, you really can. And it's a little bit of a case by case uh, scenario in terms of Mm -hmm. what the challenges are for that specific child. Mm -hmm. The medical offices potentially fill with lots of stimulation that can be a bit overwhelming for really anybody. And I think identifying where a child struggles, uh, what might be uh, things that help make the visit a little more comfortable, less anxiety provoking, less stressful, whether it is making sure that you have continuity with a care team, care provider, perhaps the same nurse that they've become comfortable with. It might be using the same exam room. Um, Sometimes multiple people coming in, you have a nurse who checks you in and takes vitals and then somebody else who gets your weight and maybe does lab work or takes your vision or whatever it is. It's kind of a lot to come at somebody and Mm -hmm. you can take the steps depending on how a child responds to minimize some of that or separate them into or those items into different visits. And then Anything that I think can help prepare a child to understand what the visit's going to entail. Mm-hmm. I have some kids with, with autism who ask lots of lots of questions, and it's great. They want to know everything I'm doing and everything that's going to happen. And I've learned that I have to really talk through and explain and, and help them to understand this is this is the steps that we're going to go through today. So there's we're removing kind of that element of surprise, mm-hmm. helping them to feel comfortable and just knowing these are my expectations and this is what's going to happen today. I, I found that to be really, really helpful. And whatever level we can make it a familiar environment, I think, is is really what stands out. Well, I really love that. And now that I'm listening to you say these things, I realize you've done some of these things naturally with my own children. And I think that I wasn't paying attention to the fact that you were doing that, just that you were doing that for them and their needs. And I just appreciate it even more. What One thing I will add to what you said is I feel like parents can mm-hmm. do, they can play such a vital role in how their child is experiencing doctor's visits. And part of that is just communicating very clearly with a doctor's office of their child's specific needs and the things that may help them have a better experience during Amazing. an appointment. That is so true. So we, I mean, I'm thinking about my oldest and she, she still absolutely is terrified of shots, but Mm -hmm. I mean, that's part of growing up Mm -hmm. is something they experience. And we tried all kinds of things in your office. I remember (laughs) bringing her in with, she said she wanted to try 
eye mask and also a noise canceling headphones. But I think as she got in there, she realized the fact that she didn't know when it was coming actually scared her more. Mm. And so I remember her (laughs) yelling, I can hear you in here (laughs) when she had her noise canceling (laughs) headphones on. So, So we learned that we needed multiple nurses in there as well as myself to help her work through the experience of receiving a shot for whatever reason she was Mm -hmm. receiving it for. And I mean, it was tricky and I knew there would be tears and crying, but we knew what to expect. And so did your staff. And so I think it didn't like throw anyone's day. And my daughter knew it was going to be rough for herself. So she kind of had gotten to a place where she knew she just had to just do her best while she was in there whatever that looked like. So that's that's amazing. I I really, really love that. And I think there's a lot of value in doing a little bit of homework. And as we talked about earlier, just the role that the parents play, it it should be a part of every step of the the visit. And even as you're alluding to the the pre-visit and Mm -hmm. it can be valuable and very worthwhile to have that conversation before a visit to say, are there anxiety provoking triggers? Are there things that help to uh, reduce anxiety? Are there uh, items of comfort? Are there visual cues of comfort? Whatever it may be. But again, the the wealth that comes from the parents is is almost bottomless in terms of how to make that the best visit. And then to make sure that our staff and we as providers, we are all educated for the visit to know what's going to be the best route and what's going to help create the smoothest, most productive and effective visit for for a child. And and I think it takes, again, really strong communication Mm -hmm. amongst everybody. Mm -hmm. I, I so agree with that. I have one last question for you, and that is, what would you share with parents who are experiencing a new, sorry, experiencing a new autism diagnosis? Well, it certainly for some can be an unfamiliar territory for parents who are just learning about this diagnosis and are trying to digest a lot of information to know that they have a very special, wonderful child. Mm-hmm. And there are so many supportive services, so much support within the community to know that the way that autism is managed today and the way that we can help these kids to grow, to thrive, to be their best, to live their best is very different than it was years ago. Mm -hmm. And that they have an exceptional child and to keep loving them and let them know how wonderful and special they are. And that uh, I'm going to steal a term from you, but this is the team, whatever the child's name may be. And I'm on that, I'm on that team now. And I'm stepping on the path with you. You will have endless support and we will navigate and work together to, to help your child feel loved and do their best and succeed in every aspect that uh, is possible. I love that. Thank you so much for sharing your wealth of knowledge. You really do have an extensive wealth of knowledge in this area. And I just really appreciate you taking the time to be here with me today. 
Well, I am honored that you asked me and it is such a pleasure. And I just love taking care of you and your family. And um, I so appreciate and recognize the amazing work that you're doing. And I just hope that you keep it up. Oh, thank you. I really appreciate that. For those of you that are listening, you can also follow me on Instagram at navigating.the.spectrum. Thanks for being here.